What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sound and Strain podcast with Ryan Cano, and I am your host, Ryan Cano, a.k.a. RC, not Cola, a.k.a. Small Business Owner, a.k.a. House Cat. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. This is episode number two. And before we get started, I need to give a thanks to JP, who you listeners know as Velcro Wolf. In fact, I'm giving a super big thank you to JP for helping get this pod pushed across the finish line. Or is it the starting line, I should say? Um, Either way, there was just a lot of technical things I really didn't know before we got started recording this podcast. So, you know, I'm just developing new skills like learning Reaper, which is similar to Pro Tools, and editing episodes for you all to hear. And, you know, JP was a big part of me learning how to even get across that step. So, you know... Big shout out to JP. You know, personally, it's been forever since I sound engineered anything. I always had people around me that engineered recordings professionally, and it just really never came up, to be honest. There was always a lot more work to be done, and, you know, I found myself doing those other jobs. You know, I've been on several records playing drums. I've been behind several album releases as an artist manager, but... I definitely hadn't recorded anything myself since the four-track cassette days, really before last week. So, you know, as episodes, you know, more episodes get made, I really think we'll see the production quality improve uh, even more. Thank you for listening to last week, guys. I saw the downloads and the streams, and man, it was just, uh, it was just exciting as hell. It was like so fucking exciting. It just gave me all the goosebumps and kind of like, you know, the excitement of dropping an album. And I haven't done that personally myself in a long time. So. Last week, I went in on Quibi, and of course, part of my take on them was going to age fast because you record a podcast, your take goes on the record, and that's how life goes, right? So in the first episode, I talked with you all about Quibi as well as HBO Max. In that episode, I discussed how all the hoopla behind the technology of watching your Quibi in portrait mode didn't amount to dick. Naturally, after I recorded that podcast... Quibi came out with a TV show where you can twist your screen from landscape to portrait and change the point of view of the story being told with different characters and helping characters make choices. And that was one of my areas that I was bitching about last week was just there was no there was just no interesting use of that technology that was being much touted by them. Of course, because this is Quibi, I found out about that new show via an advert on YouTube and not the Quibi app itself. Again, That's just a problem. Quibi is still on my phone with notifications on, and nothing on the app seems to even be working to bring me back in to watch it. What would I do to fix Quibi? Glad you guys asked. First of all, I'd sign more original comedic voices like Agua Donkeys, and do more weird scripts like Dummy. Just develop stoner-friendly cartoons, kind of like Adult Swim did. You need to re-up Let's Roll with Tony Greenhand. And from there, Quibi really needs to switch to a freemium platform with two or three times the ads up top, and then charge for no ads at like five bucks even. Widen the app's reach by including smart TV operating systems, Amazon Fire tablets, etc. I mean, open up the experience. Make it easy to access. Most importantly, your two executives up at the top, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman, they need to communicate and they need to lead the company in a way they want their employees under them to act. Departments need to communicate and be inspired, not disgruntled. Other than that, I don't plan to talk about Quibi again, you know what I'm saying? 
I mean, my free trial's up, and there really isn't a show I'm addicted to that makes me feel like I have to have the service. So, let's move on. As you all know, this is a brand new, independently run and produced podcast, which means I don't have any listener questions right now. If you would like me to answer some questions for you on the pod, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and go leave the show a five-star review in the form of a question at Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen to this, and I will answer your question as best as I can. Definitely hit that subscribe or following button. That stuff matters for us podcasts, and this way you don't miss an episode. You may also email the pod with questions you would like me to answer. Maybe your band needs some free game, some advice on the next steps to do during a pandemic. Maybe you want my take on the percentages a company is asking from you. I mean, anything. Just let me know. So what the hell is up, everybody? How's your week been? Are you wearing your mask and washing your hands regularly? Are you taking some walks and getting in some activity, getting in that movement? I'm going to be real with you guys. I think COVID-19 is going to be the story of the year. So personally, really fucking sick of COVID-19. And most times it just feels like we're starting in this country. We just crossed the threshold of 200,000 deaths. That's just astounding and sad. And our leadership has failed us. Failed us with information, health options, equipment, and economics. I mean, Trump really hasn't done shit but fumble this, you know, the response, and he is concerned purely with getting reelected. GOP governors didn't want to do anything to upset Trump, so that left cities to defend their citizens, which those same fucking governors, like Texas's Greg Abbott, has done. Just they would undercut him. And now I'm just sitting around watching smarter countries open up and live normally. Live music, concerts, restaurants, just popping off without wearing masks just fucking vibing and it just makes me miss everything that we were just doing before all this started right like hanging out with friends eating pizza dating i mean hooking up sharing a joint doesn't just a slice of normalcy sound really great right now that reminds me please register to vote and cast your ballot in the election coming up Election day is Tuesday, November 3rd, y'all, so mark that calendar. If you are in Texas, early voting is from October 13th until the 30th. Early voting, man, it, it's typically easy as fuck and just like minimal wait times. So go do that. Just early vote, knock it out, and take part in the process. Uh, this past week, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. She was a icon. I mean, what can you say? So RIP to the legend and hopefully not RIP to this country. Now, I want to ask you all, what do you miss most since the pandemic began? For me, it's a lot of things. Seeing friends and family regularly, meeting women, eating at restaurants, and of course, going to see live music and for those that don't know i live in the austin area and can tell you that live music is just a regular part of any central texan's life i mean it's ubiquitous it's there's just great hip-hop r&b folk rock and roll country kumbaya i mean you name it almost any genre of sound 
can be found in this city in professional quality. The superstars of tomorrow are creating music here today. But, you know, as I'm thinking about live music, it's hard not to see the headlines of clubs closing in this city and across America. I mean, it's a fucking disaster right now with an ever-growing graveyard. The infrastructure of stages it takes to create and keep this city weird in the face of the vampiristic hedge fund real estate investor class just squeezing any sort of functioning profit from the small businesses that inhabit those dwellings is severely wounded with COVID-19 just not allowing them to operate. So many of y'all are just tuning in and getting to know me, of course, and for those that don't know, I was a former live music venue owner in what's known as the Red River Cultural District in downtown Austin, Texas. I was one of many partners uh, and co-owners at Holy Mountain, and in the space that Holy Mountain was, we had taken over from the previous tenant, Beauty Bar. And when Holy Mountain closed down due to real estate speculation run wild, it then became Scratch House. So Beauty Bar, then Holy Mountain, and then Scratch House in the same space. It's with this you see maybe the city of Austin doesn't care who owns the clubs because they think that, you know, what is there will always be a live music venue replacement business in line behind the last tenant. And let's be frank here, like, this is a fucking terrible assumption the city is making. It has become clearer and clearer that a live music venue with only space for alcohol sales will not survive in this city anymore. Landowners, landlords offer incredibly restrictive lease terms, typically five years with no renewals. And, you know, you can best expect at renewal time, it's at least a 50% increase in rent and likely 100% increase from your previous lease terms. You also pay triple net typically, which is three sets of taxes. And one of those sets of taxes is property taxes. Yeah, that's right, y'all. The landlord isn't even paying the property tax. The small cap concert venue with the leases. At this juncture, there's more money in just running a high volume shot bar catering to the just turned 21 fraternity sets. And the reason I bring up the city of Austin in this issue is because they've largely done fuck all to save our venues or musicians up to this point. I mean, promised money from the CARES Act was doled out to other entities and spent away from the venues and music creators. Venues are a special sector of small business. They are the amplifiers of culture, and culture moves at its own speed, and culture is being erased right now, fast as fuck. And the prolonged silence from Mayor Adler and the current city council was just sickening. I mean, this past Thursday, city council met and voted on an item called Save Austin's Vital Economic Sectors, and... Basically, you would direct the city manager to look into providing financial relief for those venues while also seeking state and federal aid. And the resolution would identify city money to help these venues and lay groundwork for a system to dole out money. City staff would then come back to council with options no later than uh, September 29th. Huh? The fuck? I mean, that's just fancy wordplay right now. I mean, the city of Austin basically said, we won't write you guys officially in the fund we just approved, but we promise you'll be prioritized. Hmm. Just like we are prioritized from the funds in the CARES Act. Okay, so, additionally, y'all, the city is just now resolving to explore for funds for venues and artists, although the community has been screaming for a lifesaver since early March. 
the fuck have y'all been doing so far? You guys sure find money when you need to expand the convention center, for instance, but the lifeblood of this fucking city have just left forgotten and unheard. And y'all, it's, it's even worse than just broken promises from Austin's mayor and the city council. Why? Because all these politicians have rallies in our venues. They have lent on every musician and every venue's incredible ability to use our cultural clout and social media skills to amplify their call for votes, and we make that into action. I've seen Mayor Adler at Cheer Up Charlie's and at Austin Music Foundation events just singing the high praises of our city being the live music capital of the world. Live music capital of the world, y'all. So, you know, as stage after stage after stage closes, the city being mostly silent, the cynic in me just, you know, it gets the feeling that these guys are going to show up to quote-unquote save all the venues after they've all closed. So... That way you'd see that they tried. Hooray, guys. The fireman showed up after the house burned down. How special. He's holding a water hose. So listen to this list. Barracuda has closed. Scratch House, which was in the former Holy Mount space, closed. Plush is closed. Cap City Comedy is closed. One to One has shut down and they're selling their lease. North Door is shut down. Dirty Dog Bar is closed, but, you know, I can't believe this. It opens for so long. Uh, Shady Grove, Threadgills, Buzzmill on East 7th, all closed. And I'm not even naming them all. And, you know, like before the pandemic, Beerland and Sidewinder closed. And it seems like those spaces have largely reopened as what seems to be cocktail bars now. So as I was saying, not necessarily live music replacement businesses following the previous tenant. Anyhow, the word on the ATX streets has, has been that the Saxon Pub is getting pressure from the landlord who pretended to be Savior Gary Keller, who told them, you know, who told the Saxon Pub that he's getting offers from Taco Bell to buy the land. The fuck? And, and y'all, that's, again, this, this is just a small section of the venue graveyard in Austin. This is a crisis. And as important as the city professes us to be, us musicians and creators and venue owners, I don't really think they get it. When the city just sits on the sidelines for as long as they did, as the entire music industry screams for help and they have fuck all to say, I mean, we are drowning in the flood. And until this past Thursday, the city had offered us a brick of silence as life support. I mean, the time has been now for a long time for the mayor and city council to step the hell up and save this gigantic industry made up of small businesses. I mean, somehow the city hears the voice of one company that has multi-billion dollars worth of money and offers them tax incentives to build a battery factory for, what is it, one of the richest men and the richest car company in the world. They can jump up and write tax incentives and all sorts of stuff on the fly for that, right? But you can't hear our collective voices just live music in Austin is worth over $1.8 billion a year. That's right. Live music equals $1.8 billion a year for the city of Austin. The creative sector is worth over $4.4 billion. So 
all across the USA, you you see cities strive hard as fuck to have a local entertainment industry worth the value that ours is. I mean, C4, a city of our size, our, our live music entertainment dollars are up there with cities almost five times the population. Austin is bursting with music from every crevice. Entertainment's gigantic for us here. And then, except we aren't doing anything to save the foundation that allows us to claim to be the live music capital of the world. I mean, cities like Nashville and Seattle have done something for their local venues. I mean, even if it may not be good enough long term, it could be good enough for them to survive long enough to just maybe see some federal support from the Save Our Stages initiatives. I mean, at least it's a start, right? And I personally don't want to live and work in an Austin where 80 to 99% of its venues are projected to close. Help because of COVID-19, these clubs can't close like they normally would with the closing celebration and special lineups and like just underplays. And sidebar for a second, if, if you don't know what underplays are, it's it's when like a headlining uh, artist, like a bigger artist plays like a smaller club, you know, like, you know, an underplay. Anyhow, you know, you could have these goodbye parties, these goodbye celebrations drawn over, you know, the last few months, you know, before you close. But, you know, because of no, you know, because of COVID-19, nope. Not this time, just the closing of the doors and the handing it over the keys to the landlord. For the uninformed, live music bars in Austin have a really small profit margin, especially to small cap venues. And for venues, a couple of quote-unquote down months of business can really sink them. Live music during Austin summers, are they're just brutally slow. I mean, it's hot as fuck. Most bars, air conditioner units really just can't keep up with the heat. And, you know, people go swimming, camping, vacation. I mean, people are moving around more. So, you know, venues, the way they've survived over the years, you know, especially with their top of the market lease agreements, I mean, is from the business they got during South by Southwest. And when March rolls around every year, venues can capitalize on the week in a way, you know, that can float them financially for almost a quarter's worth of business, which... Uh, you know, happens over the course of about 10 days. Having a fully fleshed out South by attended and having those attendees spend dollars is the difference for venues making their rent through the year or not. So it just makes me think of 2021, which is really not that far away. Next year worries me a shit ton, y'all. I mean, is it too soon to worry about what the state of venues downtown are going to be like if they don't have a South by Southwest 2021 that they were expecting when they signed their lease years ago? South by Southwest on Twitter today mentioned you know, they're going to be back March 16th through the 20th uh, in 2021. And they're going to be doing at least an all virtual festival at a minimum. And they're working with city and health officials right now on physical events for next year and its possibilities. So, I mean, four days. We're already down, you know, two thirds of what clubs typically expect in terms, you know, of, of attendees and activity. And listen, Having South by Southwest at all is is huge. I love the festival, and I really want them to return, and I want them to return in a way that they can full force when we're allowed to in terms of, like, you know, health responsibilities uh, for the public. Anyways, guys, I mean, fuck. If it's virtual all next year, the city stands to lose out on big, big money just two years in a row. How much money does a festival like South by Southwest bring to city? Well, let me tell you guys. South by is the highest revenue producing event for the Austin economy outside of athletic events associated with UT. So 
South by Southwest had an estimated economic impact of $348.6 million in 2017, $350 million in 2018, and $355.9 million in 2019. For comparison, the NFL will claim that a Super Bowl will bring in $300 million to a city. And cities only get Super Bowls like once, maybe twice, maybe three times. If you are a great weather city like Miami or L.A., maybe like a big stadium like Dallas has. But, you know, those cities have to put up major money for a stadium and they offer land deals, tax incentives and all sorts of stuff like that just so they can have sport and possibly land a Super Bowl. And Austin gets a Super Bowl's worth of value to the city from South by Southwest alone. And we don't have to build a $1 billion stadium. That is straight money without the capital investment. And that's the impact of losing this festival. And this economic impact breaks down into many areas of support, right? So entertainment spending by South by attendees goes directly to the restaurants, to the conference facilities, directly to music venues, film theaters, retail stores, print shops, you know, transportation, rental companies. I mean, it's just a lot of establishments throughout Austin. So, you know, with South by coming back, uh, not in the way that, you know, most people are going to expect most likely. I mean, those concert venues do not get their March money to pay for the summer blues. And how can they survive the rent, you know, when those summer blues come? If there aren't venues in town, then South by Southwest Music Conference kind of doesn't work. The festival needs venues to host, and they need venues to showcase artists. And the venues need South by Southwest, you know, in the way that they have expected to expect South by over the years. So they have the finances to stay open the rest of the year. And it's an ecosystem that supports each other. And like, what the fuck are we going to do? When South by Southwest doesn't come back in the way that they're expecting to, and they don't get that money, you know, will there be any weirdness left in, of our Austin? I mean, it's, it's one of those things you worry about. What are we going to preserve? Is there an ecosystem that can work for venue owners so they can work more to serve their customers and serve artists and to serve the community instead of, you know, essentially working for their landlord? I mean, how long can the city expect good-hearted, well-intentioned, and valuable members of our community to take on live music small business endeavors that tend to be losing financial propositions. As the old adage goes, if it don't make dollars, then it don't make sense. And because of COVID-19, Austin's music industry is really exposed for its fragile nature. I mean, unlike Nashville or LA or New York City or even Seattle, there's no major record label here or major publisher infrastructure here or a large streaming music headquarters here. Our, our music business is mostly live business. Our music industry business is just, it's just not diversified at all. And we can't always assume our creative sectors will be here. I mean, I hope so. I, I think so. I'm pretty optimistic, but it's an assumption we can't make when there's no support at the top. And do we want the Red River Cultural District to be a string of hotels with their quote unquote live music in the lobby? I mean, what kind of city do we want Austin to be? Musicians and venues have been screaming for help for the better part of six months now. And, you know, straight up, the city of Austin better bring it on September 29th. Whew. Well, fuck y'all. That was a lot, huh? Pretty heavy. Uh, let's grab a strain 
and take a quick smoke break. Be right back.
Welcome back, everyone. You just heard New Zealand swallow the rat with their single Bird of Ill from their debut album, Leaving Room. Of course, all music on this podcast is used with permission. Once again, that was Swallow the Rat with their single Bird of Ill from their album, Leaving Room. Go check those guys out. They're all over the internet. They're really good. They're really cool. You find them on Instagram, Spotify, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, you know, wherever you can find music. They're there. So check them out. Also, big hello to everyone in Swallow the Rat. Those guys were in America for my 40th birthday back in March, right before the pandemic hit. And it was really good to hang out and see those guys in person before we all sort of had to shut ourselves inside. Every episode, I will ask you, what sounds are you listening to? What strains are you smoking? Want to give a big shout out to Cam the Tastemaker in Austin. Cam said he's been enjoying the sounds from Austin hip-hop artist Jocks and his new track, Op Undercover. And you can look up that track on Spotify or SoundCloud right now, y'all. It's it's pretty dope. Not sure if uh, Jocks is on Bandcamp or not. He should be if he is not. Cam right now, guys, is enjoying the gelato strain. Fuck yeah, man. Gelato is it's tasty as fuck. So let's start the educational section of the show as I'm going to inform you about the strain gelato. I am getting this information from WikiLeaf. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a website called WikiLeaf. And here's what they say about gelato. Gelato is a hybrid crossed from the taste-engineered parents' thin mint Girl Scout cookies and fruity indica sunset sherbet. Yeah. Mm. So, with a balanced, mellow high and a universally appealing flavor profile, this is a great strain for social use. The strain has a indica-leaning high and carries a THC composition that ranges from 20 to 25%. Terp range is typically around 7-8%, and the common effects are relaxed and creative, good for treating anxiety and depression, as well as loss of appetite. Wow. Sounds like a tasty and productive strain to get things done on. Thank you, Cam. I think it was a uh, last time I was in Denver, but... You know, actually, no, it was when I took a trip, you know, from Portland, uh, where I went to Portland, Seattle on the same trip. And somewhere in there, I had a strawberry gelato that was quite, you know, just exquisite. I just remember it tasting really well and definitely having a gelato, you know, aftertaste. And, you know, just it was really great getting me through some debilitating health issues on that trip. You know, it was especially creating space for me, you know, to have hunger when there really wasn't any. So, you know great strain good memories of it i just remember a great you know flavor profile with it so hey to all my listeners what sounds of music are you jamming what strains of cannabis are you rolling send me an email at sound and strain at gmail.com and let me know you can also hit me up on twitter at sound and strain and let me know what's up guys let's pivot to movies so this past week, I felt ill a few days and just drained of energy. I just, the pandemic got to me a few days mentally too. And I just, you know, spent a lot of time winding down at night and just watching some good ass movies. Uh, movies are, you know, something quick I could enjoy. I can just get invested in, get lost in that world. And 
quickly be over with it. I just, I like that it ends in the same night. Small investments of time, so to speak, right? New this past week uh, was the movie The Devil All the Time, which is streaming on Netflix. It stars Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, and Bill Skarsgård, and, it, and a bunch of other recognizable faces. You know, the basic synopsis is that we get to see several generations of a story being told, you know, that involves a young man um, that's devoted to protecting his loved ones and in a town full of corruption and sinister characters. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it. So this movie kind of hits the mark, a lot of marks for me personally and stuff that I like. It's, you know, got the country. It's kind of a barren place. You know, it's, it's sinister, sinister minister, in fact. You know, just got some good old violence and revenge. And it's pretty dark and pretty bleak. And it's all stuff that I like. You know, being from the South, though, like hearing an atrocious Southern accent just grates my ears. It's it's rarely done right, to be honest. Robert Pattinson's accent in this movie here, pretty bad for me. You know, I typically love his performances, uh, but this one wasn't perfect. So, but, you know, don't think I'm a Pattinson hater. I, I typically love almost everything he does. He's a great actor, acts well in the film, really beside the accent. So, I mean, to me, he sounds like Elvis one minute, and then he sounds like Little Boosie another minute. Yeah, I'm serious. It was distracting to me. And now, you know, I've, I've had some buddies point out to me that they thought uh, it may have reflected him, you know, being a bit of a con who loved his own fake voice kind of shit. But, like, you know, I don't know. Logically, I, I can see that uh, as, a, as a movie is making as an actor. Like, it, it all makes sense. But, 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 on first watch, it bothered me. I mean, that's just how it hit. I mean, maybe it'll hit different on second viewing. I don't know. Um, maybe if I watch it again, I, maybe I will. So anyways, Tom Holland's accent, though, fucking spot on. I mean, he fucking nails his accents. He sounds like deep country with a dip in his mouth kind of draw. It just works. Anyhow, this is a good ass movie. It's it's easy to enter the world. It's laid out well, and it really has some pretty great acting all around. Now, the runtime is two hours and 18 minutes. I could have easily shaved off about 20 minutes of this film. So I give it three and a half out of five stars. My uh, movie, my, my TV show reviews on this podcast are going to be called, quote unquote, it could have been 15 minutes shorter. Basically for any movie review, I mean, the best review, the best is a five star review. It will be a perfect film, but it could have been 15 minutes shorter. So, uh, four stars out of five, you're probably in the 20 to 25 minute range of editing. Three stars, let's call it 20 to 30 minutes cut. Two stars, I am cutting at least 30 minutes off your film, maybe 40. One star, I am cutting off 45 minutes plus of that film. Zero stars? Listen, if you get zero stars... I am cutting over an hour of your film and it will still be bad. So uh, I've been doing some form of this rating on my personal Facebook for years. So I figured it's time to share it with the world. You know, it's, it's all very tongue in cheek y'all. So, or maybe not. Uh, so I also watched the Gemini man starring Will Smith and directed by Ang Lee. It's uh, basically about an assassin, you know, Will Smith who's retiring. And of course, he knows too much, so the government sends in another assassin to kill Will Smith. And that assassin that was sent to kill the retired Will, it's his clone. 
a younger, faster version of himself. Things go wrong when the they recognize each other and they recognize that they're the same person. It seems like they are using the same de-aging technology that they used in The Irishman for the the three male leads on that one but apparently this movie came out in the theaters first and I, I have to tell you I have zero recollection of that like I don't remember it at all so I'm assuming it was a flop or maybe I'm just out of tune I don't know so it it makes sense though that it came out in theaters it's definitely a big budget it looks gorgeous and was shot apparently on 4k UHD 3d the Benioff brothers are involved on the screenplay script side of things on this one I mean it seems like those guys have been kind of laying low after fucking up I mean I mean rushing the end of Game of Thrones Probably for the best, to be honest, that they're laying low. But uh, the runtime on this film, y'all, is an hour and 57 minutes. I could easily cut 30 minutes out of the film. I'd give it three stars flat, and mostly because Will Smith is a charismatic presence on the screen. I mean, there's just something comforting about watching Will work. He's a supremely underrated actor, uh, in my estimation at least. He's just, you know, makes almost any film of his roll on by very quickly because his presence is just so enjoyable. Although I wasn't looking for a new TV show to pick up, HBO put out a new limited series starring Jude Law called The Third Day. There's only two episodes so far, but it is creepy as fuck. I mean, all I know so far is that Jude Law saves a girl in the woods from hanging herself and returns her to her home island. And the island's entrance and exit, you know, is from a single road that disappears as the tide comes in. I mean, yikes already, right? Ugh. Um, from there, it just gets more weird by the minute. I mean, everyone in that town just gives me the fucking creeps and tells me to get the hell out of there. Getting a little bit of that The Wicker Man vibe from it so far. But, you know, that's all I know uh, what's going on with it. I mean, have you guys been watching it? I mean, what do you guys think so far? Go ahead and roll yourself one. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the outro. <laughs> Hey y'all, yo, that, that's it for me this week. Um, please reach out to me and let me know what sounds you're listening to. What strains are you rolling? I want to know. Email me at soundandstrain at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at soundandstrain. You can even go to the website at soundandstrain.com and contact me from there. And please guys, no attachments on the emails unless I ask for them. I mean, come on guys. Send me your music streaming links, and we'll see about having you on the show. All right. One quick thing. Did did you see Texas hip-hop artist Travis Scott did a collab with uh, McDonald's? McDonald's, they're just so fucking smart at marketing. They basically are doing collabs with artists and celebrities who are true fans of McDonald's and, you know, basically releasing how they make their orders at the restaurant. Super smart on their end because... You know, besides, you know, sponsoring with, you know, a celebrity who can help them sell and make their items cool, they're creating no new menu items. It's just how they customize their orders. Travis Scott fans have been flooding McDonald's and they are apparently running out of certain ingredients. I mean, that's fucking wild. Travis Scott also did a merchandise collab with McDonald's. Yeah, it was Travis Scott as well as his label Cactus Jack with various McDonald's designs. Uh, I mean, it was... One of the most extensive merchandise drops I have ever seen, ever. It was t-shirts, pants, shorts, jorts, socks, body pillows, etc. I mean, god damn. Pretty much all the merchandise I saw on that page too was sold out. The bag that Travis Scott got, 
in this case has to be so big. And that's so cool to see Texas hip hop on the map in a major way. So I'm going to go ahead and tell the story real quick. But my friend Scott Sterling, who is a journalist in L.A., he had posted about Travis Scott and McDonald's. And I had made a dumb comment on there like, it's McLit. Ha ha ha. But he had posted that he had met Travis Scott years ago, and at the time he was surrounded by all these indie people, and he thought, man, he might be, you know, make something really, you know, cool and indie on that front. But, of course, he's a Kardashian, so he went after all the money. Smart. <laughs> so, I, I, I love that little anecdote. That's so funny. Uh, shout out to Scott. I uh, hope you're listening. This song you're about to hear is Wave at Your Grave from Velcro Wolf. Velcro Wolf has a full LP coming out in October called Destroyer of Batteries. That album is so fucking good, y'all. Be on the lookout for that. Anyhow, that's it for this week's episode. Make sure you subscribe or follow Sound and Strain on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week, everybody. Velcro Wolf, take us home, homie. I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. Storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. We still have nothing to go on. Let your heart jump beep, beep, beep.